0: Huge space! Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so glorious. Getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is gonna do it. He's gonna smash the time. Oh. Oh.
1: Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Niedling.
0: Hello, and how's it? Welcome back to the show. This is Moving the Needle podcast. If you're new to the show, I'll be your host, Andrew Niedling. Thanks so much for dialing this episode. And I hope you go back in the archives and check some of the other episodes. Cheers to all the guys that reach out. I get all those direct messages. Thanks so much for the feedback, the reviews. It's really been quite humbling. It's been awesome. Well, this week, I've got a good friend of mine. We uh, hang out when I go to Whistler most years. It's none other than free ride legend, Thomas Vanderham. He pushed himself to the top levels of free ride mountain biking. He's known more as a big mountain freerider, also competed in Rampage for many years. He's been in so many iconic film segments. So I had a great chat with him and I think you can take away a lot of things from Thomas Vanderham. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Well podcast fans, another gem of an episode coming your way. Good friend of mine and someone I looked up to and uh, shared many a ride, many a beverage. Um, Just super stylish. There's not many words, there's too many words. Or podcast fans, another gem of an episode coming your way. Good friend of mine and someone I looked up to and uh, shared many a ride, many a beverage. Um, Just super stylish. There's not many words, there's too many words to describe you, I think, Thomas. So, uh, Mr. Vanderham, how are we doing and welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Needles. Uh, Awesome to be here. Um, Thanks for having me and, yeah, looking forward to catching up.
0: Yeah, there's so many. I mean, you're just like an, you just come across as a natural, gifted bike rider, uh, humble as well. Uh, You sort of just let your riding do the, do the, do the talking but I'm gonna force you to do a bit of talking about yourself and about the scene so how comfortable are you feeling about that because you don't you know I did a lot of digging and I didn't see a million interviews and <laughs> and all those things floating about
1: <clears throat> yeah I guess uh, I'm, I'm totally stoked to catch up with you and chat um, uh, yeah I guess I feel like I've done a fair my fair share of interviews over the years but maybe it's uh, maybe it's hard to Dig them
0: up. Yeah. I just think like some, like the free ride is quite a, a wild and vocal sport. Must I say, you know, and I think there's, you have to have you know, a lot of confidence and things to and, and some of the riders are willing to speak about what they want to do or will do. And it just seems like you went about your, your business, which will dig into the rampage, I guess is what I mean. I, I just think you really let your riding do the talking.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a safe uh, assessment for sure. That, that has been um, my approach over the years. And it's, it's probably more just to do with my, um, m- my personality than anything. Um, I've been, uh, I'm I'm more than happy to kind of fly under the radar and not be uh, super outspoken and, and try to let my riding do the talking, as you say.
0: Yeah, I think, that's maybe where we related a bit. I mean, we obviously went different ways. I went racing, uh, which we will talk about finding. You dug up the results where we were in the same race at Junior Worlds. My last year as Junior yeah. junior World Champs in Capri in 2002. But it seems like we were both quite calculated about our risks, and maybe that's why we both touched wood, stayed out of the injury side a bit maybe more than others, and maybe why there's longevity because you've had – a crazy long career spanning over twenty years in in the world of free ride mountain biking which is not always seen especially these days
1: yeah yeah for sure i i have been um i think my approach has been been very calculated for sure um it's uh not to say that I haven't had my fair share of injuries because I have I've just tried to uh, minimize that risk as much as possible uh hasn't always hasn't always been easy but um but yeah I think that's totally safe to say um I've, I've dealt with that a lot it's funny you know maybe talking to people who are outside of the sport might see a picture of you from the rampage or something and the their initial reaction is oh you're crazy but um they <laughs> they haven't seen all the work that you've put in to get to that point and the baby steps that you've taken so it, it might appear to some people as crazy but to you know to me um it's always been calculated and I would like to think that I haven't attempted a, a jump or a line or something that I didn't know I could do. You know, there's a, there is always an element of, uh, of something going wrong, but um, I was always, I think riding with confidence is the key to uh, to achieving great things on your bike. So if I was ever not confident, I was pretty um, open to walking away from, from certain lines or, or things as well, which is which is difficult.
0: Yeah, that's saying like riding above your pay grade. But yeah, so many things pop to mind there. But what I I get called crazy all the time as well, oh, you're the the guy that races down, or excuse me, did race down, or you're crazy hurtling down at those speeds. And then I break it down and explain what a race weekend looks like. And then I explain how much time I've had on a bicycle. And you're totally right. It becomes second nature. You've put so much work in, and depends on your personality inside you on what you're willing to risk. But most of the time you're doing lines that you know you can do, or you have a innate gut feeling, I'm assuming at the free ride level. Cause it's not, you know, they say mountain biking, it's not if you're gonna crash, but when. And I think free ride mountain biking times that by a thousand, you're going to crash. But um, at what point you're obviously doing jumps that you have never done before and you are going to push the limits. And I spoke to Sam Reynolds a bit about that. A lot of it comes from that experience of how many years you've ridden and, and, and your gut feeling to walk away or not to pursue a jump.
1: Yeah, well, a lot would go into that, definitely. Um, in terms of calculating, like, let's just say, you know, you're on a film shoot in, in Utah. Um, I would definitely be pulling on all past experience, riding in that area, thinking back to lines that I've ridden, specific gaps that I've done when, when I'm analyzing the terrain and looking for something new to to pull out of it. Um, and also to have a goal and have a clear vision of, you know, what it is that I'm, that I'm looking for, all those things kind of culminate into, you know, how the trip's going to go and, and, um, and, and what we're going to get out of it. But, uh, yeah, specifically to walking away from something. Yeah, I mean it's it is a bit of a gut feeling. Like I, I like I said, you need to be hundred percent committed and hundred percent confident. Um, the injuries that I have had have I think been a result of not being a hundred percent committed. So it's a bit of a learning process there. You you uh, with every injury, you sort of try to to take something away from it and learn a lesson, and um, that's been probably the biggest thing i've taken away from getting injured is um is just that you have to be a you know a thousand percent committed to what you're doing
0: so when you say you weren't quite committed or confident like looking back now do you think you blocked out some of those thoughts or had them and you're just um, on the shoot or it's for a film project i kind of want to do the jump but i'm not totally feeling 100 percent confident Do you think you push through those thoughts and ended in a crash, like some of them, you know, at, at one of those crashes, injuries, do you think that like actually happened where you consciously like try to block out those feelings?
1: Um, I think that, um, possibly just analyzing every possible outcome of a line is, is, um, something that has happened to me in the past where, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very fine line between being focused on success, but then also um, also figuring out, like, well, where's the, the no-fall zone? Or I'm going to attempt this gap for the first time. Is it better if I err on the side of going a little too far or a little short? Like, what's the safe, what's the safe bet? Of uh. course, I want to land it perfectly right in the middle of the jump, but um, if things do go wrong, is it better to be a little short or a little long? um all of that you know all of that goes into every every time you're riding something really big and pushing yourself on the edge i think you need to consider everything like that
0: yeah i mean uh, and you definitely are looked upon as crazy as being labeled (laughs) a free ride mountain biker but you absolutely have a different personality i think to a lot of them um but maybe Maybe there's a lot more to it than I think meets the eye. Uh, a Seminic, um, you know, Amelia Hansen now at slopestyle level. I mean, Brett Reader, all these guys, you you can't just think they switch their brain off and, and huck it. I think back in the day when Freeride started, there was a bit more of that. But it, it seemingly seems a lot more calculated. But let's backtrack a bit because your personality came from upbringing and how you got into the sport. And I love to understand the upbringing and and you've spoken about it quite a bit. You come from an area in Canada that's not really known for mountain biking at all. And here we sit many, many years later, but you did move obviously to Vancouver, but does it, kind of trip you out to come from a town that small that didn't well maybe not small is not the right word for my geography side of it but yeah talk the listener that doesn't know a lot of your history and and how you got to Vancouver and then on to deciding to maybe make a career of it
1: yeah sure um, yeah I grew up uh, in a place um, called Edmonton which is uh, uh, in the province over from BC so you know probably most mountain bikers I've heard of British Columbia and, and Whistler and all the great terrain we have here. Well, the next province over in Canada is uh, is Alberta, and it's it's known for being very flat for the most part, other than the the western border, which has the start of the Rocky Mountains. Um, Alberta is is known for like vast flat fields of agriculture, growing wheat, and uh, you know, for the most part, a little bit of a generalization, but. Um, Edmonton doesn't have any mountains. It has a, a river running through the middle of it and all the trails there are on the banks of this river. And, you know, I don't know exactly what the elevation is, um, but it's but it's low. You know, it might be 50-60 meters, I guess. Um, so all the trails sort of meander <laughs> yeah. along the banks of the river, but what I thought was always cool is despite all that, there's a really strong mountain bike culture there. Um, people are, uh, really into the sport, really dedicated when the snow falls, it's, you know, it's, it get down to minus 30 degrees in the winter and everybody pulls out their studded tires and now snow bikes and, and rides still. So it's, uh, uh, it was a cool mountain bike community to grow up in. Um, I don't know, you know, hard to say, I think at some point I would have made my way out West. My parents moved when I was 14 um might have just happened later because I was, you know, so into the sport of mountain biking. So I think I would have eventually found my way out west like a lot of people do. But still was a really cool community to, to grow up in. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of great memories from riding there.
0: And uh, the passion, as you just mentioned, was it started really early for you. I mean, that's probably similar to the age when other sports started taking a backseat is kind of beginning of high school. And it sounds similar to you if you're saying you're going to probably move anyway, like the bug, the bug had bitten pretty early then for you.
1: Uh, I'd say I got the bug pretty early. Yeah, yeah definitely. I was, um, when I was in Edmonton, um, one of the local bike shops that I uh, used to hang out around a lot. They used to have these great slalom races on the local ski hill. The local ski hill was 50 meters elevation, probably tiny, but uh, (laughs) they would just plant ski poles in the grass. No, no berms, no jumps, anything like that. And have like a weekly, you know, Tuesday slalom race or something. And I was 11 years old at these, at these things um, racing against, it was just uh, like an open class, Uh, but super cool. Like super fun um, racing and and uh, yeah, I just, those were awesome years. And then yeah, fast forward a bit. I mean, for me, nothing else really took a back seat until later. I through high school, I I grew up playing all kinds of sports and um and still was really into that all through high school. And played uh, played a lot of different sports in high school and loved it all. I loved my experience playing team sports um through high school and I still play on like a like a beer league soccer team uh, yeah but uh yeah it was really after high school that mountain biking um took on a different uh a whole different meaning for me
0: and yeah moving to Vancouver and you early in your your riding but the sport of freeride was kind of only showing its teeth then as well or coming to the forefront. You know, racing was still how you rode a bike. But this North Shore scene, and you were thrown into it, your first video part was when you were 15 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk a bit about, like, getting into biking, but at the same time, this freeride movement is happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just crazy um timing for me i guess when i arrived uh, on the north shore i remember my parents had bought me um, a subscription to bike magazine and the month before i moved this this now well i find you know very famous issue of bike came out um with a full feature on the north shore and i just was flipping through the pages like i just can't believe that this is where I'm moving, you know, this place looks, looks just insane. And um, that was sort of one of the first uh, big mainstream articles about the building and the trails on the North shore and how unique they were. And um, yeah, when I arrived, I mean, I was, it was just pretty mind blowing experience to head up the mountain and ride, you know, these trails that had these totally unique, Log rides and and woodwork and they were super steep and slippery and technical and I had come from terrain that didn't look anything like that so it was a complete uh, eye opener for me. Um, but as you say, like I started to to work at the Cove Bike Shop and and Wade Simmons, who was an idol of mine, uh, he was still working there at the time. So the path wasn't it was just starting to form that you could make um like there was a you could make a living riding your bike away from racing that that, you know that that was something that wade and and brett and richie uh were some of the first to do and that path was was still not even really cleared yet um when i was when i was 14 and moved to the north shore
0: yeah, and um, I mean, your parents have spoken about you made a conscious decision to pursue it as a career. So, w- what does that look like in your mind when it's not quite carved out that you can be a professional mountain biker or whatever, maybe away from racing, and you consciously don't go to university? I mean, what is? It seems like you had things quite planned out, or at least were pretty goal oriented. You like, do you remember back, <laughs> or was it just? such a passion that you just want to carry on riding your bike. Like, can you help us through that thought process?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, actually that that's where maybe my memory of things and my, my parents differs slightly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because fair enough. Um, Let's hear it.
1: <laughs> Cause I, um, I started to go to university after high school. And at that time I had, uh, I had a few sponsors. I had, I was riding for Rocky mountain, Um, I had, you know, maybe three or four sponsors and they were starting to ask me to go places. They were sending me to Europe. They were, um, there was a lot of filming, a lot of films being made at that time. And there was a lot of film trips happening. And I started to try to, or not try to, but started to get pulled away from school and be missing big chunks of time, like one week here, two weeks there. And at the end of the first year, I I it was pretty clear to me that I couldn't dedicate my time a hundred percent to both both school mm. and, and um and riding. So I kinda of felt like I had to make a decision at that point whether to um dive in a thousand percent to mountain biking and commit to that or to uh to finish out um school. And
0: how long did it take to think about that decision
1: (laughs) well not too long obviously like (laughs) like
0: in like 10 seconds
1: (laughs) yeah 10 seconds what I but I did have to have a conversation with the sponsors that I was working with at the time to to say like hey if this is something I'm gonna do I I need to start sort of making a bit of an income because I wasn't at that point yeah so that was um that was a big part of it because if if that wasn't possible then probably would have had to stick in uh,
0: in school, yeah, fair enough. And uh yeah, for the listeners, some of them might be younger, some might be older, and and gone through mountain bike movies, which you've featured in so many iconic ones, and and that I've had on repeat uh back when it was VHSs, and just ruined those VHSs, <laughs> and then it went to DVD. So it's it's a lot different then, or was a lot different to now, where you still go on a project, but it gets released quite quick afterwards. And it seems like it's gone in a second. I I really miss what you were doing back then on the on these film projects where you would go on these trips or they would film for the whole year almost, maybe a two year project, and you'd have to wait for this to come out. And and there was like longevity to that. I I think there's something special that's now missed.
1: Yeah, that that was uh, definitely cool and um, cool for me as well. Growing up when I was when I was. Th- 13, 14 years old. I vividly remember walking into a bike shop and seeing cranked one for the first time and seeing these spines that they're riding in Utah and just being like amazed. Like, I just can't, this is never seen anything like this. You know, it made such an impression and I was the same way I would get those VHSs and wear them out. And, uh, and all through my high school years, I had a, a tight group of riding buddies at my, my local high school and, um, we would do the same thing. We would get the latest film. We would watch it a million times and then we'd go up into the woods with our camera and try to duplicate, yeah. you know, <laughs> like try, try to make our own uh, version of that, of that film. Um, so yeah, I do think that there's something special there about those years that that's been lost now. I mean, yeah, media is consumed uh, much differently much faster and, um, those were um, those were special films, yeah. Those early ones. Those were they were really cool to be a part of.
0: And and is there one that stands out or a, a segment that is unique that you built or were involved in? I know you've done so many, but maybe for the listener to understand, yeah, some of these builds. What goes into a three minute segment in a movie, you know, the planning, the building, or maybe it's a remote location and maybe some stories from those film trips, which have just been a huge part of your life and career really.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's certainly um, a lot, a few, there's a few that stand out Um, going to Morocco for Rome was um, was a, was a wild experience. I mean, first of all, just traveling in Morocco and being uh, in some very, very remote locations, um, riding off some some things that maybe in hindsight, like we didn't fully calculate the risk on, like <laughs> where's the where's the closest hospital? What happens if we if we uh, did need to like something went bad and we needed a you know heli vac or something?
0: Yeah, like compared to now, if you went <laughs> at your age now, yeah, you would probably add a few more thought processes to it. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. um But I i look back on that trip with just the fondest memories. It was a, kind of a once in a lifetime type of opportunity with a, a group of people that are have now all become very good friends since you know um that was like early days with Matt Hunter and and Andrew Shandro and. Um, yeah that was that was a very memorable one. Um, the other one is is seasons. Um, just because of uh how much work we put into that. That was basically a you know eight eight or nine month project. Huge build, pretty early day pretty early days in terms of like putting that much effort and and um, into specifically building like a custom made line and features which happens a lot more often now, but um, I'm not sure how much it was happening back at that time.
0: Yeah, that seems quite unique for for back then. And you say eight to nine nine months for your segment, just your segment. Yeah. Like planning, building, testing, filming. Yeah, we
1: went up to the interior and scoped a number of properties and uh, ended up leasing one from a landowner and he let us bring in machines and build these these lines and that yeah the whole process from scoping to to wrapping the shoot was the better part of a year definitely
0: oh that's fascinating yeah i mean there's definitely more a lot more purpose-built stuff now and maybe more funding for it in a different way but yeah that's super unique Mm -hmm. and these film projects yeah you it's such a passion it seems to be creative and document mountain biking throughout the years and at these different places but at what point did you ever chase the tricks versus the look and feel of a project? Cause you, I don't know. Did you go down a rabbit hole of thinking you needed to learn tricks or were you always just stuck to your guns and how you rode a bicycle?
1: At one point I went down the rabbit hole, but not very far, yeah. <laughs> not very far <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Um, so it was right around. Um, well, actually were you at the first crankwork slope style? Or is that the second which,
0: one? Which which year which year is the first one? We can reminisce a bit here. I was I did enter one of them. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was after you. I was two thousand and four I did the slope style.
1: Yeah, was that the year with the so, teeter totter that you jumped up on and off there was a teeter totter on the course?
0: No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. It was the year Claw built that really high ladder drop looking down the hill to the left out the woods. Oh, but I okay, think Okay, okay. You must have been like 02, 03, one of those yeah, years.
1: Maybe 0-2 was the first, then or O three. I don't exactly remember, but I did those early years of the, of the crankwork slope style. And at a certain point, um, in early on, there was a little bit of debate about what direction slope style was going to go. Was it going to go a little bit more big mountain style and less tricks, or a little bit more BMX direction, mm. like? Um, And it ended up going the BMX direction, and when it did, I I was still competing at that time, and I felt like, uh, I guess I felt like I should try and learn some more tricks if if that was the way that Slopestyle was going and I was committed to it. So I remember going down to California one winter and um, dirt jumping with, with the local crew there and trying to learn some tricks, and it was going pretty well. Uh, until I crashed uh, doing a 360 and broke my leg it was my first broken bone and first real injury of any kind and um, that was a that was a total eye-opener I just realized that compared to these guys who grew up dirt jumping like I had to I had to really learn how to dirt jump I was not good the first time I Hit a set of dirt jumps i i grew up riding like steep slippery terrain super technical but um dirt jumping was actually something that was quite foreign to me Um, and compared to the the crew and the like the local california riding scene these kids that grew up dirt jumping not only were they so good at riding the jumps but they were so good at falling they'd learning a trick like they could just bail out of a backflip and slide out on their knees and um
0: yeah they had a lot of practice with it I yeah guess, huh?
1: yeah and that was a skill that I just did not have um so my bag of tricks never expanded that far uh, I learned a few and 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 kind of rolled with that and then at that point um that would have been right around 2006 2007 and that's when I filmed that segment for, um, seasons, which was for me kind of, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, symbolic in that way that I was like, this is the direction that I want to go kind of more moto, big mountain influence than, than, um, than, uh, BMX.
0: Yeah. Maybe even ahead of the time with, uh, you know, seeing events like dark fest and, and all these big jumps and, and you almost pioneering them with film segments back in the day, and, and speak a little bit about, was it a relief to maybe step away from that style competition and the pressures that come with it? Because it's like racing, you know, you're at the top and you've got this expectation or pressure to deliver your best run and you've only got one chance or maybe best of two, you know, it, it can be quite, quite draining uh, versus having eight, nine months to build a project and, and have more time to be creative.
1: Uh, well, it was certainly the 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 realm of mountain biking that I felt much more comfortable in. Um, growing up, even yeah, racing, competing at, at slopestyle; those were those were things I did, but I I never uh, I never felt like I rode my best when I was when I had to do a run like at this time. I was always way more comfortable on a film shoot where I could sort of take my time and choose choose my moment and wait for light and, and ride um, when I really when I really wanted to um, so I don't know if it was relief but it was definitely um, it was definitely direct the direction I wanted to go and it was probably the first sort of big transition in in my career where I was able and luckily my sponsors were supportive and Said, you know, I'm not going to do the the slope styles anymore and I'm going to just film full time and do the rampage and stick to things that I'm um, really passionate about.
0: Well, talk to me about rampage then. I mean, there are a lot of listeners that will know of rampage. And if they don't, I mean, just one little YouTube, Google, or search of rampage, and you'll see just some insane stuff riding off cliffs. And that to the naked eye. And to the educated eye, to me, is crazy. I still think that's crazy, even though you might say it's calculated and and it's pretty big money. But you were you were successful and, and comfortable there. You, weren't you in the top 10 every time you went to Rampage, plus you've had a podium as well?
1: Uh, that's right. Yeah, you did some research. Yeah.
0: Of course. Of course. I'm, I'm professional. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. prepared. But it, it's interesting to me because it is a daunting place. I haven't been there in person. I'm almost too scared to go. Like knowing you guys, I kind of don't want to be there because the risk is huge. And, and I know you're a type of rider. We spoke about calculated risk. But can you help us understand what it's like to go to a rampage week?
1: you know, and that's one of I the biggest try. events
0: for you in your career, right? Like I mean, yeah, that's yeah. almost can help you renew your contracts. Like it's actually a lot of pressure for you as a free rider that chooses to do rampage mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, i can I can definitely uh, i'll take take you through my history of that event a little bit because uh, please, it's no. a little bittersweet. but um, going to the first year. so now we're twenty, twenty one, we're twenty years removed from the first rampage, which is which is super cool. Um the first year there I was totally overwhelmed. Like I s I and I've seen it a lot since with first year riders there where their eyes are just huge and that terrain there is just totally overwhelming. I'd never ridden in Utah before that. So showing up to the Rampage two thousand one I was just like, wow, everything feels different, the dirt's different, the it's so hot, like this is this is crazy and that year i distinctly remember not sleeping a wink before quality day like i laid i laid in bed and i looked at the ceiling and i don't think i blinked i was scared like not just nervous or like excited or any i was legitimately scared
0: for crashing or what could happen
1: yeah just i guess at the uh at the consequences of something going wrong there um what what you what I've learned since I guess that is from filming there and riding there more is that the reason that event is so perfect there is that that is actually the best terrain to is the most progressive terrain possible. There is a, there is actually not to say that things can't go wrong; they absolutely can. Um, mm-hmm. But there is actually a little bit of um, a little bit of leeway when you fall there. There's a lot of soft dirt around and and uh not to call it safe but um there's there's a reason that the event is is situated there and it's so perfect for it um
0: yeah it almost works doesn't it huh if you if you would pick a dirt to fall in yeah then that's one of the top dirts (laughs) if there are yeah Yeah. i know it sounds foreign to people (laughs) listening but i understand (laughs) that that it does give way at at a certain level
1: yeah and it's easy to work with and it's easy to like scrape in these lines so after that first year which to me just felt like kind of survival (laughs) uh I kind of learned how to ride the terrain how to approach it a little bit better and just got more experience with it and um uh through there yeah just kind of got my level of comfort with the event rose every year that I did it, and it ran from 2001 to 2004, and in 2004, um, I had a good event, and I think I qualified either first or second. They used to do a quali day and then a finals day, and um, I, well, yeah, I put myself in a good position for the finals, and then I ended up having a, a huge crash. And I finished fourth, and i was i just remember being very disappointed about missing the podium um, in two thousand four and then the event took uh it took four years off so it it uh it didn't happen for four years, which was kind of crazy they were looking for a new place to to hold it and looking all over the world and didn't find anywhere and then uh it came back in two thousand and eight same same general vicinity in a new uh new valley, and that was a really crazy year for me because i in early two thousand and eight I had uh like by far the biggest injury that I had in my whole career and uh, the riding at the rampage that year was very much in doubt i when i when I crashed and um, I, I didn't think I'd be able to ride at the rampage that year. And, um, fortunately I, the rehab went pretty well and I was, I was at the rampage and, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of things going on that year, but I ended up, uh, having my best result, which was sort of, was super interesting for me just cause I think, uh, I think I rode with, with less pressure. I, I had sort of less expectations on myself and, um, things just sort of the way that they played out was, Um, yeah, it was great. So that was my, my one and only podium, uh, was that year in 2008.
0: Well, don't, don't speak lightly of that. (laughs) I think a podium at rampage surviving rampage is a, a feat in itself, but that's interesting, isn't it? When the expectations you're forced to drop them, how you can perform. I mean, that's like the Holy grail is, you know, lower the expectations and, you know, you're probably just, thinking about the current process and getting through the day and, you know, maybe managing your injury and next thing you're on the podium. It's fascinating that the world and the sport can work like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think just for me, it was, I, I hadn't expected to be there. So being there at all and, and, and riding was a, was already a bonus or already a win. And that kind of removed any any other expectations from a, from a personal standpoint. Um, so yeah, I was able to, I think that freed me up a bit.
0: And, um, you know, Rampage for the the listener that maybe doesn't know too much about it. I mean, you go out there a few days before, I know it's changed now and you've got to build, hand build your line. There are some lines now that are shared little areas, but you kind of get to craft and be creative and, and build the line you want to build right with some builders, um, What's that process process
1: like? Um, it's it's really it's really cool. I mean, it's a one uh, it's a one of a kind event. Um, really, there's nothing else there's nothing else like it in mountain biking, and there's it's hard to think of much that's that. Um, it's not that similar to really anything in any other sport either. Um, I remember somebody saying about it down there that you couldn't ride any other machine or vehicle down that terrain like it's literally only a mountain bike you couldn't ride a motorcycle down there couldn't ride a bmx like that's what makes it so unique and cool mountain biking and it's it's true that's
0: true isn't it yeah. if you think about that there's no other piece of machinery or at least with wheels no that could get i mean well like it's only a, a gravity down or mountain bike that can get down there yeah that is fascinating yeah yeah,
1: yeah. which uh, which is cool but yeah, you're so when I stopped was when I think building was like really taken off. The last couple of years that I rode the event was when things like sandbags were coming in and dig crews. And that's when the building was really, really taken off. So I haven't been there through the major, major building heyday. I just caught the tail end of it. But I do think that that's a, a really cool aspect of the event, how you get to tailor make. Your line, your interpretation of this of this mountain, um, cater it to your your eye, your your skill set, and then you know put on a show on the last day.
0: And uh, yeah, deciding to not go back to rampage. What you know? What brought that on? Was it a few years coming? Uh, is it this calculated risk thing? <clears throat> Growing up, I know you've got um, some amazing kids now and a family. Yeah, What yeah. was that like for you? Uh,
1: all, all of that went into it. I think um, the very first year there was a, an opportunity to be a part of a big mountain bike film that there was a shoot scheduled over Rampage. So that was like a, a small part of it. But I think, um, I think ultimately what it came down to for me is that I know the, the mental space you need to be into to ride at that event um and you need to be as we sort of talked about right off the beginning like you need to be all in a 100% committed to what you're doing and there can't be any doubts in your mind and that and that uh that headspace was what I wasn't sure if if I could get into that again um i uh, yeah ultimately it was like um you know i think the i think the um, direction of the event is also going a little bit more tricks as well now, and that's a huge part of the event, and didn't really suit my style as well. And so to 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 be there and ride my best, you know, I, I knew that I had to be in like just the perfect um, headspace and fully committed, and I wasn't um, I wasn't sure I could do that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And and when you say fully committed, I would assume, I mean, you've got to also accept the consequences that come with going all-in and, and doing these event, And that's a, a big key thing that you see the guys that are, are doing winning runs. Uh, it seems like they've accepted the consequences of that. But yeah, it makes sense because the sport does evolve and they want it to evolve and, and tricks are getting scored higher now and that's not your background. So then to go put your 100% run To not get high enough, it's like not really worth the risk. Then, if someone's gonna flat spin some crazy drop, that's you know gonna score way higher than a super creative line or a big drop that you're gonna do. So, kind of makes sense that you have to kind of see if it's worth it or not in the long term.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's I I have. I have very good memories from the event it's it's it was incredible to be a part of and you know be a part of those early years especially and um now it's I mean it's such a huge influential event and I um I love it I mean I watch it every year and um yeah. it's 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 great but yeah you need to be comfortable with leaving your comfort zone like you know if you drop in there you're going to be riding over your your limit it's not at your limit you are definitely going to be over your limit and uh, really
0: even at your level like even at the best in the world are are forced yeah. kind of just above their comfort zone and and what what they would like to be doing sometimes huh i'd say
1: so yeah i was every year that i wrote it i was just over my comfort zone yeah
0: yeah i mean that's it's a recipe for disaster and and you know, there have been some injuries out there and, you know, I commend and it's so courageous, that 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 event. Are you comfortable speaking to I, – I don't know if people are getting paid enough at that event for what they're putting on the line. And don't answer it if you think it'll get you in trouble, but I'm at the point that that event is on – I forget, you know, it's on – NBC, NBC or whatever it is in America and it's getting a lot of views and 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 I understand everyone's got a role to play but I'm wondering if people are are getting enough for the risk they're taking
1: I think it's a I think it's a valid question um and I and I have to say I'm not totally up on the latest like prize person and what's what it's at you know I know that now they pay they pay everyone to show up and they give a bit of budget for the builders and um, they've made some huge improvements that way um, mm. I would have to look up like what the purse was last year I guess maybe the I know it's gone up a lot when I when I got um my one and only podium in two thousand and eight. I I made twenty five hundred bucks. Um, for <laughs> well, that, that, well, that ain't
0: that ain't enough. No, <laughs> we so know we that. Can agree you've that got that's... you you've got kids now. That ain't gonna pay for much.
1: We can agree that that's not enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we
0: agree there. And I'm not singling anyone out. I'm not singling <laughs> the amazing sponsors that put no, it on. No, I'm no, no. Like no, it's just it's like something's not. You know, I just wish the guys would get more for what they're willing to risk this, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is that the riders there, they're not they're not there for the money like that. Yeah. That's kind of enough. Af- that's a bit of an afterthought, I think. Maybe, I don't know. Like I haven't.
0: Well, I I don't know. I think at the highest level it, it's a byproduct. It's a bonus. And if you if you're there for the money, it's not really the right reason and it normally doesn't breed success anyway. Yeah if that's your motivating factor in sport and yeah, often in business i guess
1: for sure for sure and if you and if you were to people people rarely get paid directly for the risks that they take that like pretty much doesn't happen do it like maybe in in uh in certain situations um but you know in professional sports their players are played so much because, because of the size of their sport and how many people watch it. That's a, it's just direct correlation. So yeah. if the Rampage has grown, and, and I don't know that information, but if it's grown to the point where it's that big for NBC and there's that many eyes on it, um, then absolutely they should be making more.
0: I was just going to... You, you made a great point. They're not getting paid like directly for that risk on the day or at the Rampage. But yeah, they are potential outside industry sponsors that might see it or the contracts from the gear companies, you know, the you know the Foxes, the Troy Lees, that's newer to the sport than it ever was. So there are the contracts that, I guess, get bigger. You you know, you re-sign your deal if you do well for taking the risk. So I guess there's this weird delayed pay for the risks you take, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean it's I would definitely say for all the sponsors for for all the rider sponsors there's there's a lot of value to having an athlete in the Red Bull Rampage now. I mean the 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 invite list has shrunk this year to 15, so having athletes in that event is is huge for them. So um yeah, if that if that correlates into um more money for the athletes, I think that's that's great. But yeah Yeah, I
0: mean yeah, it's it's a it's, it's a tough one to to quantify and, and riding post rampage maybe help me understand, yeah, family man Vanderham. You know, <laughs> we, we get to catch up a little bit in Whistler when you know the, the world's a little bit more normal, which <laughs> is, is so good. And then we all go our separate ways and like how much riding are you doing? What does it look like? for projects now and, and managing, you know, having a family and your time, it's not maybe as easy to just pick up the phone and say, you'll be on the next shoot. It's tomorrow, or what, whatever it may be.
1: No, no, for sure. That's a bit of a juggling act, uh, at the moment, especially as our kids, uh, get a bit older, but, um, you know, I guess taking a step back to when I stopped doing the event, it felt a little similar to me, uh, uh, when as to when I stopped slope style um, and and uh, competing at that, and unfortunately as well, my you know my sponsors were very understanding and um, just said I wanted to you know focus more on uh, on filming and some sort of travel and, and adventure based um, projects and things like that, and um, yeah, I've been able to stay stay pretty busy with that stuff over the last. Uh, you know, five or six years and, um, you know, keep, keep, uh, yeah, keep busy with, with those film projects. And it's been a lot of fun. And then as well, I'm, I'm able to work, uh, a little bit more on the outside for sponsors like Rocky, um, in the, the like world of R and D and, and testing and doing some, some things there for them. So that's, uh, that's been a lot of, a lot of fun as well.
0: And uh, your longevity and working with these sponsors, you've got some relationships that I've spanned many, many years. Have you got some advice or, or anything you can share, say, with a younger aspiring writer? Because I, I, I think sometimes, especially with social media and just instant gratification, I think the process is getting lost on how much of a two-way street it is. So um, in your awesome video, the Shimano, This Is Home, which people should definitely watch and I threatened to put it in the show notes. I probably will. (laughs) I might not, I don't know, but it's easy to find. Uh, You, you held up a binder and, and uh, my late father helped me put a little CV together and, and document the race results and document the media and the newspaper articles and stuff from back in the day. So I understood that you need to show the sponsor what you're trying to give them for what they're giving you, you know, two way street. Yeah. And it seems like you learned from a young youngish age walking walking around interbike with this binder to say you know this is what I do, this is what I can do for you um talk a little bit about that the relationships you've had, or is there anything that comes to mind to share with the younger generation
1: yeah well i do some um I do some coaching in the summer and i um i do i lo- i love interacting with with young riders um but the question that I get asked the most is. How do I get sponsored? You know, you yes, probably had that question a lot as well. Oh,
0: <laughs> insane! And now, obviously, with social media, it's coming up there, and it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm lucky that we came from a different era, I guess. But that wouldn't be my first question. No, that, like, isn't your first question meant to be like, "How do I whip like you? That's How inc- do I whip like Thomas Van Dam?
1: That's exactly. I want to, st-
0: and I want to know that because if I can do that, sponsors are going to jump at me. I just there's a bit of a disconnect there.
1: I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's exactly how I, how I answer them as well. Like you're, if you're thinking about the result and like the getting free product or whatever, you're kind of missing the point. It's, it's um, you should be thinking solely about your riding and, and how you can improve. And um, if you do that, you, the the sponsors will come like that'll all, all into place if if you're you know dedicated and passionate about the sport and just fully um dedicated to riding the the sponsorship stuff you know will happen after the fact um yeah it can
0: yeah no please yeah, carry on with that thought process yeah
1: yeah no i just like uh i guess i just think back to when when i was a kid and i would I would take, like, if I had 10 minutes before dinner, like, I would go out and spend it on my bike without thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about becoming a professional or what that would lead to. It was totally natural. And it was just, like, a, a pure passion for bike riding. Um, and, yeah, I think if if kids are thinking about um, sponsorship and what products they're going to get and this and that, it's just sort of... Uh, it's a little bit backwards, you know, They if they're, should be thinking just about how they can get better as a rider. Um.
0: Yeah. That's such wide word. I mean, there's a saying, uh, you know, be so good. They can't ignore you. And, and <laughs> the cream rises to the crop. There's all these cliche sayings and um, I understand where it comes from. And it comes up on this podcast so much with social media and the pressures of that and instant gratification and, and seeing how pros promote things, you know, we are trying to give back to the sponsors. So we might promote when we get a new pair of shoes, helmet, pedals, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, mm-hmm. you know, and we're trying to thank the sponsor for giving us that. And, you know, it's a two-way street. And I get that, that question a lot and, and, and I, it's almost saddens me because you're totally right. When we were young, we had to get begged to come back for dinner because we just wanted to ride bikes. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and I think we quickly forget that, even I do. Sometimes I don't ride for a few days. Um, and, I, and then I do go for a ride and I'm like, that was, that was great. There was nothing bad about that, you know. <laughs> and you, you get caught up in adulting and social media and all these things. It's like, man, you won't get better by looking at it on your phone, <clears throat> you, you know. And we didn't, you know, we watched the videos and then we just went out and tried to mimic that and mimic that in practice. It's it's, mm-hmm. yeah. I I I I'm sounding like an old man preaching to the younger generation, but I just I I have to. I want to help because I just think it'll make your riding better, make your life better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just honest advice. I think from from my standpoint, it's like if you're if you're thinking about getting free jerseys or bikes or whatever, you're, you're thinking about the wrong thing. You're focused on the wrong thing. Um, now, I mean, once, once those doors do start opening up for you and you start to have sponsors and, and working with companies and then it's, you know, I feel it's just, it's just about being professional and, and being a good communicator and, and being a nice person and interacting with people, like treating people well. Um, that, it, it all might seem like really easy, simple stuff, but ultimately I, I think that's um, what it comes down to. Like just carry yourself in a, in a professional manner and be a good communicator and that's going to serve you well. I mean, that's maybe probably in any line of work um, for that matter, but I think that's kind of the key to, to maintaining a long career in the bike industry or, or anything. Is, uh, comes down to that
0: yeah I mean people want to work with people that are professional or that they get along with so uh, yeah that's also great advice for, for any industry isn't it And and sporting I've been thinking about this a lot you know sportsmen and people get you know and say some businessmen get put on this pedestal but the reason they get put on it is because they're focused on one craft so passionately and that's all they think about and I know that can be a negative towards other things in life but maybe that's the core of it is if you really want something you've got to dedicate yourself to it you know within reason we need balance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but sportsmen almost don't have balance and that's why you get called crazy for riding rampage but you've done it your whole life every second of the day you're thinking about it mm-hmm. every waking moment you can be on your bike you're on your bike yeah and and that's why you get so good so you're comfortable at it and i think you know yeah, kids out there in anything they want to pursue. It's 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 gonna take dedication and sacrifice, but keeping the passion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess now, to a certain degree, you alluded to like having kids and how that changes things in the schedule and that um, my ability to just drop everything and go for a ride has been compromised like a lot. I don't uh, I don't have that same level of flexibility with my time but I think what I've found is that that makes me appreciate the time that I do get to ride um, more so you know overall I'm I'm probably spending less time on my bike but um, it's almost like the the passion is there it the passion is really strong when I when I am riding it's really uh
0: that's awesome is it almost been like reignited that that there's more fulfillment when you ride and you you appreciate more because you ride less, but you almost don't mess up. You know, you don't take a ride for granted. Maybe, maybe me, I have more time than you would maybe take some of these rides for granted. And oh, I don't ride for two, three days. And you're probably looking at me going, well, what are you doing? I want (laughs) to ride every day, but I'm I've got different things that I need to be doing. Yeah. Cause I did, you did quote yourself as saying you've become more of a professional from learning. Uh, your, your time management with having kids and things like that, you know, it's almost made you a better biker and better professional.
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of what I was, what I was getting at with that, with that quote is, is, um, is what I just said about just, yeah, I have less time overall, but it is more, it is more fulfilling when I do get on my bike. And then now as my kids are getting older, they're, they're five and two now and they're starting to ride, which is just the coolest thing ever so now it's taken on this whole other meaning where i can i can introduce them to this sport that's i've been so passionate about and regardless of what they end up doing with it um it's something that we're starting to be able to share together and that's like you know that's so cool
0: and does the five-year-old know who um or how famous and popular are in the mountain bike world (laughs)
1: No, uh, like a little
0: bit. I mean, is he? No, she's. You no, know, is he telling his friends? Is your daughter,
1: the oldest one. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's the oldest one. No, not okay. not yet. But there, <clears throat> there have been a, a couple funny little instances. Like the other day, we were down at the park. We, we didn't have our bikes or anything. We were playing at this water park, and this this little parade of like six or seven kids comes out of the woods, and they asked for my autograph. <laughs> my, my, nice. my daughter, and daughter was daughter looking at you... me like what is going on here I'm that's like, so awesome is... yeah yeah it was, it was hilarious yeah
0: that's so good yeah. i had um i had mike day on the podcast you know the bmxer and uh he shared some stories about his 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 kids as well and he's at the bmx track but he says he stays very much in the back unless he's doing the clinics which he's there for yeah um and uh, I, the, the listeners will probably get annoyed because I'll, I'll tell you the same thing, but someone said fatherhood is you're almost living your life again, not like through your kids, but you're now teaching them to ride. And I wonder if it brings up memories of like your first ride or it seems like you're going to like, you know, re-go through your, your riding through with your kids now, you know, the first time they learn to wheelie or the first time they learned to bunny hop or something like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That would, that would be absolutely true. Yeah.
0: That's so fascinating, man. Yeah. You know, I really wanted to dig into that because, you know, when we're at the events, you're away from the family. So I don't know that anything's changed, you know, and we're just catching up right. about bikes and have a beer or, and it's just, you know, those sort of, those sort of things. But when you, you know, you're at home and your sponsors and stuff, like as any of it, or do you put any pr- more pressure on yourself? Like, okay, I've got less time now. Are my sponsors going to be worried about that? Like, what about that internal pressure of keeping up as a professional rider and keeping sponsors happy? And I also said from, you know, my side, moving from racing, which I knew what to do and how to do it. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get results, you're off anyway. And then, I'm you know, moving into this ambassador role and going on trips and, and things like that. Can you... Help me with some of that, like mental challenges that goes into a career in free riding or uh, an ambassador.
1: Um, yeah, maybe I can help. Maybe I can <laughs> uh, elaborate on that. I mean, I think for me, um, when I stopped doing The Rampage, I um, the days of working on one film segment um, all year long are definitely over, but I, I still attempt to work on fewer projects and put more time into them. So I would say that my sponsors, um, you know, Rocky Mountain, Shimano, DeKine, they've been very good about providing me with those opportunities. So we'll have a you know, conversation earlier in the year. What's, what's on the radar? What are there bikes that need to be launched? Are there, you know, um, initiatives that that are really on your radar? And I try to, Formulate a plan through the year that involves, you know, three larger projects that I can put mm. time into, and if that's the ultimate goal, I guess for me. And if I if I know that I kind of have these projects to work on, then uh, then I know that I'm, you know, staying busy and, and doing my job. Uh, and of course, a lot of other things will sort of filter in in between. But I generally sort of try to structure my year in that way. Um, but yeah. That
0: yeah makes sense. So a little bit like you you have to have clarity, and then you can build a schedule around that. Because that's probably a big challenge I have is you know some days are busy, some days are not. Mm-hmm. And the not so busy ones, you feel like you're not fulfilling your role, you're not providing value. And I think maybe that's an entrepreneur, businessman can have the same issue. You know, someone that makes their own schedule. I mean, that's it's kind of like uh, be careful what you wish for right having your having your own time and you're laughing now you're like well with kids i have less of my own time so i don't have that challenge anymore but yeah that's fascinating tom and you've you've definitely made a career for it and i think people can learn a lot from you and you you didn't maybe always chase what other other people were doing i.e the youtube thing or or something like that it didn't Mm. you just seem to have stuck to your own core uh, values and beliefs you know
1: yeah no i i would say that that's um that's true i going back to what we spoke about with slope style you know i had i i, I did come to this realization that like this is just um this is not what i'm passionate about and what my my skill set sort of lends itself to and i and i really tried to stick to the, the the big mountain riding and the and and that like vein of of free ride and um I think that that um, I've sort of carried that on through my career, tried to as much as possible stick to um what i what I feel passionate about and what sort of suits my my personality best and yeah I don't you know I don't think I'd be comfortable like trying to maintain a YouTube channel where I had to put out like a video every week or or whatever it just that it doesn't um it doesn't suit my my personality so um yeah yeah
0: Yeah, and it takes uh takes a lot of self-reflection to to realize what makes you tick and and to almost communicate that value to this to the sponsors um yeah thanks for sharing that i really appreciate that Mm -hmm. and um some things we did we have shared over the years is uh, a golf game when we meet up and and being Canadian yourself, there's been some iconic uh, heroes of the sporting world, which is super sad to even think about this. Um, and being in South Africa, I'm a little with, bit withdrawn from that on a daily basis or not at all the events or riding locations that you go to. But can you speak a bit about uh, you know, losing Geordie Lynn and before that Stevie Smith, who were – you know, I think close friends with you and you guys grew up riding and and sharing these moments and and bonding because of the bicycle.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, obviously both, um, super tragic, uh, losses and, and, um, good friends of mine. And I feel so fortunate to have spent the time that I did with them and, uh, Jordy was, uh, was definitely a close friend. We grew up racing together. I I believe Jordy was one year older than me. Um, and it's funny how actually thinking about this after the fact, like how little our careers intersected on the bike, even though we, we grew up the same age and we were at a lot of the same races. Um, we ended up on like very few film trips together and, and, um, yeah, our careers on the bike didn't actually intersect all that much, but off the bike, like we were, we were great friends and, uh, we both enjoy a good game of golf. And we just like the memories from, from that and spending time with, with Jord off the bike, uh, I will just cherish forever. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Lots of just, uh, just an amazing, uh, human and, and, uh, personality and, and, yeah, real sad one. Um, and, you know, sim- similar with uh, with Stevie. I ended up being teammates with Stevie for a little bit over the years and got to ride ride with him and got to see a little bit into his mind and his approach to racing. And I was always just um, blown away by uh, how talented he was and, and just how mentally strong he was. And um, Stevie was – starting to pick up golf right right before he passed and actually we had we had talked about playing a game um just like just before um just before the accident so uh that, that's uh would have been good to get that one in
0: yeah golf's becoming quite the little pastime switcher for for the mountain bike world which is funny is it eh? um it really is. That's yeah. Really I'll, funny. I'll share share some stories. They definitely off the track walk a few of them sneak off for nine holes. Uh a few of them may or may not have skipped a few training sessions to get on the golf course. I won't name names. No. But um <laughs> and I want to bring the humor back into it because it um it is a, it's a super sad situation and 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 horrible that that they were so young. But those two, it, it's always the good ones that go. They say, like, those two guys' attitude towards life, I mean, it was incredible. To It was infectious to be around, you know, Geordie. Never a dull moment. Always positive, it seemed, you know. and And if there was something you could take from him to teach others, what would it be? It just seems like he lived life to the fullest, like whatever he was doing at the time. And you spent a lot more time with him than I did. Mm-hmm. But I just it was just always it was like uplifting to be around him
1: yeah yeah for sure it was completely uplifting he just he just never took himself too seriously he kept kept uh kept the situation light all the time and and that was infectious i i feel like uh sometimes i'm i'm the opposite so i could i could use a dose of that and when i was around uh when i was around jordy the i think uh, i think that helped me take myself a little less seriously as well so
0: <laughs> that's actually such a key way to describe it not take yourself too seriously i think we all can tom i think yeah. that's why maybe me and you get on we can <laughs> maybe overthink a situation or overanalyze which yeah. can be a good thing you know Or analyzing can be a good thing but overanalyzing not yeah so um yeah for sure yeah that's a great lesson just not to take life too seriously he was man so if the listeners don't know i mean just you know look into Geordie Lynn and was also a pioneer in the freeride world creating some incredibly wild stunts that tree that um ladder thing up the tree yeah oh that that was <laughs> only he could come up with that
1: only he could come up with that and I mean we've talked about this afterwards I I don't know if there's another rider in the world that would ride off that thing
0: have you been to it?
1: I actually haven't. Um, but, the I, but I photos do it enough I will justice. get there one day. But everybody I've spoken to that has been there is just like in complete awe of the of the thing. Like it's just yeah, of
0: the gnarliness. Yeah. yeah, just the
1: scale of it. Um, yeah, that was that was wild. Yeah, no, I mean he <laughs> was he was one of a kind. I think some of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, memories of him were coaching. We did a bit of coaching together up in Whistler and he, he had a flair for dressing, right? Like he had a pretty funny style on and off the bike. Definitely on the golf course had a great, uh, always brought the heat to the golf course with some like (laughs) pink gloves or something like that. But on the, when we were coaching, he would always like dress to the nines every day. And he loved wearing like brand new basketball shoes and like these, you know, these crazy outfits and, I remember one day we were heading up the lift and it's pouring rain out. We're in Whistler and I look over and Jordan, he's wearing like brand new white Jordans, like air Jordans. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> but he, he loved it. Like it, that was just him to a T.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember some of those outfits was awesome though. No, we, we miss him dearly, man. Yeah, And Stevie Smith as well. I mean, just, did incredible things for Canadian downhill and uh yeah i mean he he was also one that lived life to the fullest i must say and but his he, he was so headstrong i mean just really you know before his time to to that we lost him in such a tragic way just i guess he loved it though well, he was such an outdoorsman wasn't it if it wasn't biking it was motorbiking or now nah, then golfing or mm-hmm. I mean, you just couldn't, he couldn't sit still, could he? No,
1: he couldn't sit still. And he, and he kind of had one speed, which, uh, yeah. which was fully pinned. Yeah. And, uh, it was cool to see him and his, the progression of his career and early on just, just riding like so hard and having a lot of crashes and, and struggling to stay on the bike and then basically kind of figuring it out and putting it together and what he, uh, what he ended up achieving was just, you know, incredible first time for a Canadian winning the overall. And I still, uh, I still get like choked up watching his run at St. Anne. Um, I remember watching that race live and uh, well, Warner's call is just like insanely emotional now uh, looking back on it, but um, I have vivid memories of, of watching that race and it had rained and none of the other None of the other um, top competitors were coming close to the to the time. Everybody was, was off, and the track was getting w- more wet and more wet, and then Stevie comes down and, and wins, and it was just insane.
0: Yeah, that's got to be one of the most incredible downhill runs of of, of all time, and especially in those conditions. But mm-hmm. now, yeah, looking back at it, Tommy, you, you just, yeah, it's unfortunate you wish you was still around, but I learned so much from Steve and he was a lot younger than me. Mm. Just his, his almost fuck you attitude to getting things done on the bike. Um, and yes, he had some injuries and stuff, but it made him stronger bouncing back from them and just didn't really let things get to him. I, I think I asked him some, if he was superstitious about this or that, and he, Almost laughed, and he's like, "No, then I got to remember which goggle to wear when." I'm, butch- I'm, I'm <laughs> butchering some of this, but it was kind of it felt like that. He was like, "No ways, man! Like, no, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have time for that. Time like, for then I got to remember which goggle, <laughs> like, I just whatever goggles in my bag I'm gonna race in or whatever, and yeah. and make it work, which he which he did." So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's bringing back definitely some, some good memories and uh, some good after-party memories with Stevie. I, I must say, he knew he knew one speed. Yeah, and and that was fast on a bike and and fast at the bar as well. But yeah, yeah he really, yeah, he did some incredible incredible things for the sport.
1: No doubt about it.
0: And um, if you look at the sport now, um, you know what what it, two things. What impresses you about Downhill? And you did used to race Downhill, and we pulled up the, I'll say it again, what was it? The Caprun 2002, and we're both juniors. Mm-hmm. Was that your last year, junior?
1: Yeah. yeah. So we're so the same we're, so age. We're yeah, of
0: course. 84s. Yeah. Um, and we look at some of the names Sam Hill winning the race, yeah. Mark Beaumont in there. Um, I must actually bring it up. There were some, some big, you know, big Sam was names. first, and
1: G was second. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's a couple World Cup just, wins right there stacked up yeah, at the top. And,
0: and former World Champs. Yeah. So Samuel wins, G. Atherton, Justin Havaken and Aussie. Julian Camellini had some incredible results. Mark Beaumont. Matty Leacorn, and I was teammates with him. This is an awesome list. Yeah. Jerome Clements that went on to be um EWS world champion. Johan Barelli's in there. There's some bit some big names. Justin Leo, I was also teammates with them. Cody Warren. Um, and there's old Thomas Vanderham <laughs> the free riders in there
1: yeah like that's funny because looking back on that list now obviously some, some very accomplished racers and I, I came over and having never left like I had only raced in, in BC basically I yeah. had no idea what like this I think it might have been my first time to Europe I had no idea might what, have been, what huh? I was getting into but obviously, it was like a, you know, insanely talented field, and I just got crushed. But that's okay.
0: <laughs> well, we all, well we all did because <laughs> it was a five minute track.
1: Yeah, how about that five and a half minute track? I
0: so it was, and it was a proper downhill track. It wasn't. There wasn't much, you know, free time there. It was an incredible downhill track. But yeah, it was. Yeah. Um I got smoked by 15 seconds. I got, I achieved my goal. I also had been to worlds twice before. And so this was maybe oh, wow. my fourth of maybe fourth international race. But you know the Sam Hills Chi, they were doing they had done a few world cups that year. So I'm going to claim they had a bit more experience. Yeah. But That's... yeah, we got smoked. We got smoked pretty good. <laughs> <Did>
1: <laughs> but you it's, remember it's cool the, to go down. You remember the pro race from that year.
0: Yeah, with PD sitting in the hot seat yeah. for so long.
1: Yeah. He
0: was sitting in the hot seat so long he got change of clothes. Hopefully someone brought him sunscreen. <laughs> yeah, so this – for the listeners, this was back when they had seating and you had to then – if you seated first, you went down last, but if you seated, say, 40th, you came down earlier. So a lot of guys would sandbag to take the pressure off them, which PD did. Well, PD, Petey- So he –
1: had been second at the previous two world champs or three.
0: I'd have to look it up. but He had, probably, a, he had a streak uh, and,
1: of second places going. Yeah,
0: and he was probably qualifying near the end of the field, so he yeah. wanted to change it up.
1: He wanted to change it up. I remember uh, talking to him about it because I, um, I had ridden with Petey in North Van when I was 15 or 16. He came to train for the Grouse World Cup. And he trained with Chandro and Watson and like the the local shredders at the time. And I got to come out as this like 15-year-old Grom and sort of tag along, which was unreal. But I got to, you know, got to uh, get to know Petey a little bit. So that was so sick. So I was pulling for Petey so hard at that race in Caprune.
0: Oh, it looked like he might have done it. Hey, and then there's rumors Volios had people on the side of the track that told him how far up or down he was. Oh, I mean, man. this is like, the type of rider Volios could handle that sort of information. He had like almost pit boards his run was, on the side of the track.
1: It was surgical. It's like he did yeah. knock off like 0.3 seconds every split. And by the end, he was up by a second and a half or whatever, but it was insane. So Petey got second again, but oh, man. <laughs> Well,
0: it kept him going, didn't it? Yeah. It kept him
1: kept him going. Um,
0: geez, that was uh, that was good times and it's awesome that you were able to see both sides of of the racing and that's probably where you know you still had some passion for that and your technical riding work. That's why you kind of you were almost in the middle of the free ride in the racing world because we all respected you for your like how you could ride a bike, the style technical ability and then the free riders for your big mountain you're almost kind of in the in the middle thinking about it well, now. It
1: was, yeah it's interesting over the years definitely got to like i feel like i got to sort of drop in to the race world and just get a bit of uh, a bit of insight into into um racing without being overly serious like i it, it wasn't the path that i was going to take, and pretty early on you know filming was was definitely where uh where my passion lay but uh always had always for one credited my junior years of racing for for sort of building a foundational skill set like in a massive way um but then also just also remained uh, a fan of racing from you know from afar and followed all the races and and uh kind of got to drop into the scene every once in a while and that was that was cool and then ended up, you know filming a segment with Sam Hill for example was was really cool getting getting a bit of insight into what made uh, what makes him so great. Um, so yeah, I, I've enjoyed that over the years. I'm still a big race fan and um, I love following it.
0: True, you did a segment with Sam Hill and you've done one with Brendan as well when he was really focusing still on his racing and a bit of filming. But what does make Sam Hill so good if you say you got a little bit of insight? What it what could you take away from spending time away from a race with him and seeing his riding or or his, you know, how he took on on life?
1: Yeah. I mean it was a really short shoot. It was only three days, I think. Um but what, what jumped out at me about his riding in particular was how balanced he was all the time and how he just never got kicked offline we were riding these trails on the north shore in the most wet conditions you can imagine um and his just like ability to stay centered on his bike and not get kicked you know kicked off uh i think the low you know center of gravity helps with that a lot but that was um, pretty insane to witness in person.
0: Yeah, I mean, he definitely changed the sport for the better and and brought to it some insane riding technique. And he's it's funny, you know, he also comes from not the mountainous, most mountainous area, Perth, Australia, oh, yeah. from Edmonton. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't have to... You know, you you're not stuck with what you're given, I guess, in in life and in mountain biking. Clearly, um, and my downhill tracks, I got some big ass mountains in South Africa, but we didn't have a lot of access, so it was minute tracks, two minute tracks, same yeah. as UK. A lot of the tracks are short. Kind of got to make the make the most of it. And uh, yeah, you got to do a, a film project with Brendan. Yeah. What what impresses you about uh, Brendan? When I mean, you definitely, we've spent some time with him over the years.
1: Yeah, I mean, a whole lot, obviously gotta be one of the most naturally talented riders ever i would think um, yeah i would
0: certainly agree um, and i hate to say it because i'm a good mates with him but effectually but i mean there's naturally gifted but it came from how much he rides his bike i mean the passion right. for it and how much he rides but right yeah he was It's definitely something in uh natural there for how talented he is and and what he can pull off on a bike
1: yeah 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 and just so uh well versed and in, in all like any bike he throws his leg over you know just just totally versatile skill set can jump on a dirt jump bike or a downhill bike or whatever and just shred <laughs>
0: that that leads me to ask what so what do you believe in nature versus nurture like which one do you side with you said he's gifted talented versus someone that works their ass off at something or has you know where do you toe the line there
1: (laughs) Uh... are
0: you actually born with it or is it what you put into it and your surroundings
1: yeah, I get. Well, I wasn't trying to imply that he didn't work hard no. because I don't, I don't have too much <laughs> insight into that. But like, well, there is a rumor
0: to... <laughs> that he didn't train as hard at his racing. There's a rumor.
1: <laughs> I mean, you just jump behind a guy like uh, like Brendog, and you're just like amazed at the things that he's doing on his bike, and he's making it look, you know, so easy. And that's what I mean yeah. with natural talent. He just sort of. He just like he just makes everything look so easy, I guess now i i as you as you say, I'm sure that it is a result of him just putting so much time in on his bike, and he seems like that kind of guy that he just like just rides all the time um, but yeah, I'm <laughs> not sure if that answers your question, but
0: no no i mean it it doesn't really have to it's more to understand it a bit more i kind of it's so tough to say i do believe that your surroundings and what you put in you can get a lot out but at some stage exactly him being an example or you or something like the way you look on a bike the way you turn or the way you whip like some of it you naturally do you figure it out right so I mean, I'm never going to be a basketball player. You know, I'm naturally not tall enough. I could probably get semi-decent at throwing a three-pointer if I practiced all day, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a, it seems like there's got to be a mix. That's kind of where I'll leave my opinion on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a mix. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that, you know, so many racers came out of Australia when, as you say, that, that there isn't a lot of terrain. But it seems like there was this this race culture there that, that built up and kind of led to so many successful riders coming out of there. And I'm sure the same could be said for the UK. Uh, yeah. But there's a very strong race culture. And, and now in France um, that is leading to all these great riders.
0: Yeah. And I think I, I thought about it for a while and with the Aussies, they were riding year round, the ones that got overseas that aspired to follow in the likes of, you know, the, the guys that went before them, you know, Sam Hill looked up to Rennie a little bit. And mm-hmm. and before that, etc., there were some Scott Sharples and Michael Ronning, all these names that some of the listeners won't know of, but they aspired to be that. But they were racing back home in the summer. And then they would go over in their winter and race all year. And then kind of had a longer season. And I think that was an advantage for a while until now lately you see Bruni he goes down to Queenstown. They go do a lot of off-season testing. So I think the Europeans are, back in the day, it was hang up the bike, go skiing for a bit, do some pre-season, and then go racing and and get fit throughout the season. But it seems like that's changed now, and that's why th- there is that race culture that the French have. Mm. But I think a lot of them are riding their bikes more throughout the year now.
1: Mm. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, Tom, what is what does the future hold? What what is what more of the same? Are there some things that you need to still tick off, trips wise, segments wise? Like, what does the future of of riding look look like for you?
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't have uh, I don't have a great um, answer for you, unfortunately. Uh, other than I'm still just loving riding my bike, and and um, that's you know, taking me some cool places still and, um, love, you know, loving every minute of it, loving, sharing it with my kids now. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, as we sort of talked about today, I've had various, um, transitions happen for me throughout my career. So uh, in a way I look at it as a, like a a ever evolving thing. And, um, I want to, continue to be a big part of the mountain bike industry and be involved in the sport of mountain biking. And, um, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure what that's going to look like in 10 years, but I still, I still want to be, uh, still want to be, uh, really involved with the sport.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I know you will be and thanks for inspiring me. And I know you're in, have inspired so many people before me and, and will do. So keep doing those segments. And those video parts and the the whoops at Whistler. Hopefully, we get to meet in person. So, I want to thank you for your time. But before you run, before you go have another coffee, because I know you're passionate about coffee, <laughs> and it's early in the morning for you there. If you were to give, say, your 20 year old self some advice, looking back, what what would that look like?
1: Like specific to uh, to riding, or
0: no, no, not advice? at all. Just
1: open open question. No wrong or right answer jeez that's a heavy one, needles.
0: <laughs> you know what mine you know what my answer, normally is because I've got asked this one. what's that is to make sure I enjoy myself and don't take life too seriously <laughs> yeah, is yeah. what I would tell my 20 year old racing self yeah, yeah, that's what I would but that's just an example. it doesn't have to be too deep. it's like, hey, don't be deep, enjoy yourself,
1: yeah, yeah yeah you know I'd say there there's an element of that for me i the few of those early trips I went on and some of the some of the cool opportunities that just sort of like appeared in the early years I would say I maybe took for granted at the time like oh this is just kind of how things are and um that uh yeah that's not the case i mean there it's it's uh it's really special to be able to go to a place, you know, like Morocco to ride your bike. Um, so I, yeah, I don't want to say I took it for completely for granted, but I would just say like, this is a, if I was talking to my 20 year old self, I would just say like, these are really special opportunities that you're being given and try to, um, savor them as much as possible.
0: Well, those amazing parting words. And, and I, can take that to heart. I definitely have not always realized how awesome it is at the time, you know? And I think that comes with age, but Tom, it's been great catching up, shooting the shit. So thanks so much for your time. And, uh, and, uh, where can the guys find you, your Instagram handle? Where's the best place?
1: Yeah, I'm on there. Um, I'm on there for sure. Just my name at, uh, Thomas Vanderham. Um, that, uh, yeah, that'd be the that'd be the main place. Yeah. Well, Wicked, thanks again, my man. Yeah, thanks, Needles, man. It's uh, good to catch up, and definitely a big fan of the the podcast. I've been listening, listening to lots of episodes so far. I think you're doing uh, an awesome job with it. So keep it up, and thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate that more than you know. <laughs> and one last thing
1: before you guys go, if
0: you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend make sure you subscribe, leave us hopefully a five-star rating and review. I read all those reviews. It's awesome getting them. If you've got any feedback, you want to send me a message, I get all those messages. I try to respond to them all. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun journey so far. So until the next one, stay well.